Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. The podcast is more 90s than seeing Jarvis Cocker bum with all the Brits. Poor old Michael Jackson. My name's Ash Rose, your host and guide on this journey through football in the 1990s on the original 1990s football podcast. How you doing? Thank you once again for joining us and hitting that download button. What is our 41st episode? Yeah, we've done 40 episodes, closing on the big 50 for AK90s at the moment. If this is the first time you've listened to us, where have you been? You've had 40 episodes. Lots to catch up on. Uh, we've covered a lot of ground so far here at Life Can Kick In, from classic kits and stickers to games and goals and tournaments. We did two on Euro 96 and a great one on USA 94, my favourite tournament. Uh, we've done TV stuff, toys, adverts, you name it, we've covered it. And uh, for those who've been with us from the start, we're not done just yet. Don't worry, there's plenty of gas in the AK-90s tank for for the moment and and going forward so yeah have a listen back to some of the previous episodes because i have some great guests on the phone as well some people from the decade and people in the studio as well so yeah ak90 still going strong don't you guys worry and uh, talking of going strong uh, i thought our last episode was a particularly strong one actually with a uh, friend of the show part of the furniture part of the family uh, very much a regular here on ak90s joe young as me and him chewed the fat on 1990s football Adverts, and that was a great look back as we looked at things like Lucas Aid and John Barnes and Walkers and Gary Lineker and Paul Gascoigne and Michael Island and all that, McDonald's and Scotty Parker and all those kick ups, and of course the Nike adverts, the Devil One, which everybody loves, and Cantona and his collar, and the great Brazilian team in the advert doing the oh, and all that. Yeah, so we went through all those. Oh, one of the hair ones, Jason McAteer. He was in a hair advert, yeah. We went over that. Not sure many people remembered that. You can't find it on YouTube. We've looked. Um, I found some stills I think I put on Twitter, but the actual video in this day and age, you cannot find anywhere. So I know I remembered it. I know Joel remembered it, and I'm sure you guys remembered it, and I'm sure <laughs> Jason McAteer remembers it. Um, we'll have to get him on the show to ask him about his uh, his hair commercial as well as his time at Bolton and Liverpool. But it was a good look back. Always entertaining, Joel. And I th- actually, I learned a new thing about Joel on that uh, that show. Actually, thinking about it, because uh, we're talking about adverts, and uh, revealed that he likes watching adverts regardless. Uh, from the 90s and so so yeah he like sits on youtube watches old adverts so you learn new things every day about your friends don't you um i thought of him today actually because uh it's the 22nd of february we're recording this uh which should be a bank holiday in middlesbrough because it's janinho's birthday yes the little magician from brazil who uh, played for burrow in the 90s one of my favorite players of the decade actually loved that little guy had a poster of him on my wall uh, even though i'm a qpr fan that's how much i loved him uh, he's 44 today, so happy birthday to Janinho. Um, we put a tweet on Twitter earlier uh, wishing him happy birthday and showing his little Corinthian figure as well, um, which is actually from my own collection, sitting on the shelf right next to me, in between Steve Stone and Alexi Lalas. So yes, more nostalgia as always here on AK90s, and, and as with me in general, for anyone who listens to me, and here's a cheap plug alert, on the Gorilla Position podcast on TalkSport, which is a wrestling show that I do. I'm regularly talking about nostalgia on there, back in the 90s, all the wrestlers in there. So yeah, on there I usually say, um, bloody love the 90s. So yeah, on here you get hashtag keep it 90s 
on Gorilla Position, you get bloody love the 90s. All about nostalgia. Um, talking of which, actually, I've got some irons in the fire about another 90s-inspired project as well. Um, not actually football-related or even wrestling-related, but uh, keep your eye out on that. Um, if you choose to follow me, you can. It's on uh, at Rose UK. Keep your eyes peeled on there for some new projects with some new friends of mine that we are working on. Uh, but our current project, um, of course, is AK90s. And I was feeling particularly nostalgic this week actually because uh, the England Twitter feed put up a tweet uh, wishing Alan Shearer an anniversary on his England debut uh, which was 25 years ago this week Um, you may think oh that's great for Alan but what's that what's that got to do with Ash well to be honest that was my first ever live football game England-France, February 1992. Yep, Alan Shearer made his debut. Also, Rob Jones, actually, that night made his debut, which we mentioned on Twitter. Uh, And Rob replied to the tweet. So, yeah, thanks for that, Rob. Come on the show. Come on the show. Tell us about that that debut and your time at Liverpool. Could have been a real threat to Gary Neville for me, Rob Jones, if it hadn't been for injury. Um, But that night, yeah, first time for me, there I was, Wembley Stadium with my dad. The Twin Towers, the big pitch, the lights, the floodlights. Oh, it's a moment I don't think any of us ever forget, is it, when we go to our first football game. I remember that so vividly. Even the programme, it was blue and it had like squiggly versions of the badges of the Lion and the French Cottrell either side. So I remember that quite as well. I think I've got it somewhere. Of course I've got it somewhere in the mountains of programmes and stuff. That I Is it me? I, I can't go to any football match even now and not buy a programme. I don't, I don't know what I do with it. I think I just chuck them in the box. Obviously, the QPR ones I do. But even, I remember I went to Republic of Ireland and Marne uh, a few seasons ago. And I had to buy a programme there. It's, just, it's innate in me that I always have to buy a match day programme. I've got boxes and boxes full of them. Um, I just sit in my loft and for some reason. I don't really know. But yeah, the QPR ones uh, are outgrowing, actually. Yeah, much to the wife's uh, dismay. But hey, what can I say? I'm a hoarder and I'm a nostalgic cat. Man, so yeah, that's that's what happens. But that was a great French team as well, looking back. Then England won 2-0. Um, Alan Shearer scored on his debut. Um, so did Gary Lineker. One of the few times that those two played up front together, actually. Um, I think they had a few minutes at Euro 92. But that was kind of the bulk of the time they had together. Because they kind of missed eras, didn't they? Um, Lineker was coming to the end of his England career at that point. Um, the end of Euro 92, he retired, went to Japan. Ow, me toe! Before doing TV stuff. And Shearer was kind of the one he was passing the torch to. He'd obviously go on to have another brilliant England career. Captain and like, like Lineker did as well. So, yeah, they kind of missed eras. But they both scored in that game. And a really comfortable victory. Great French team well as well. You know, you had the likes of Basil Bolly, Bernard Lamar, Laurent Blanc. And... Somebody who we haven't actually mentioned a lot on this show. Um, we probably should have as well, especially on the strikers' pod. I think he got maybe a passing mention on the strikers' pod because he's one of the greatest of the era, actually, and has probably the most French-sounding name you'll ever hear, Mr. Jean-Pierre Papin. Very French, but very, very, very good. Um, I've got a picture of him, actually, in my file somewhere of him surrounded by hundreds of trophies. Um, on a really dodgy kind of prom looking backdrop and he's wearing some horrible yellow slacks um, I'll put that on Twitter at some point but yeah Jean-Pierre Papin so French sounding it's like the Italian version later in the decade for me I don't think there's many Italian more Italian sounding names than Pierluigi Casaraghi yeah so there you go I'll stop with the dodgy accents now and to get on with telling you what is today's show about yes and we're starting something new on ok 90s a new little mini-series within the podcast where we're looking back at each season, season by season, year by year, starting with today's show on 1990-91. So, yeah, 
let me know what you think of the format um because i've kind of toyed with different ways to do it um i didn't really want to go like the the premier league years route as much as i absolutely love that show um i was watching it was it last sunday the sunday before sunday morning uh feeding my daughter my 10 month old daughter watching the premier league years and obviously that goes from august to may and all the big events chronologically and but that show's like nearly three hours long and i don't think you guys can listen to me drone on for that long so i didn't want to make the show too tedious too stagnant um so instead what we've done we've picked out the big stories obviously there's no spoilers you guys know what happens in these seasons so we've picked out the big stories from each the winners of the you know of each competition and any headline acts that happened that season and kind of chatted through that way so let me know if you think that format works um if not we maybe we can try doing it from august to may and maybe do it that way but yeah that's what we've started uh, doing on this first episode and um, with my guest today um he's an author of a fantastic book um if you like your stickers and i'm sure many of you do like myself um he is like i call john devlin the oracle of kits uh greg lansdowne is the oracle of stickers his book stuck on you is a history of sticker collecting and card collecting any collectible to do with football in this country is detailed in this brilliant brilliant book go out and buy it i'll put a link on twitter it's a fantastic read um he joins me today as we talk through 1991 uh he's an arsenal fan obviously he's a big season for arsenal and uh I, I must say there's a lot of arsenal at the beginning of this podcast but they were involved in a lot of the big stories uh from that season not only winning the championship without losing or losing one game actually to chelsea um, the big brawl at uh, old trafford tony adams uh, off the pitch shenanigans all that's covered so there's a lot of Arsenal but we also talked from Kenny Dalglish um, some other bits and bobs the winners Tottenham and Gaza's brilliant run to the FA Cup Man United in the Cup Winners Cup and a whole lot more a bit of stickers obviously we can't have Greg on without talking about sticker and collectibles I think the words pro set get a good old mention for those who remember them We've also got uh, another interview as well. Um, last time out, we spoke to Sean Teal, former Aston Villa defender. We've got another defender on this week, a real stalwart for Nottingham Forest, who played in the 1991 FA Cup final, so very much in the zeitgeist of this week's show's theme. Um, he was really, yeah, he's a kind of a city legend, a city ground legend, to be honest, uh, in Nottingham Forest. Played from 86 to 99 before he moved on to Barnsley. Uh, Steve Chettle joins me on the phone speaking about Brian Clough, uh, about that 1991 Cup final and the brilliant Forest team uh, of the mid 90s that had Steve Stone, Brian Roy, Stan Collymore. So yeah, that's coming up. Uh, before we do, that just get me to tell you that uh, you can follow us on Twitter at AK90s. Uh, we're on Facebook as well. Of course, you can listen to us on all podca- podcast platforms, um, of especially iTunes if that's your weapon of choice when it comes to podcast listening. If you are on iTunes. Please leave us a, a review and a five-star rating because it really, really does help us out. Um, I know more than ever that there's an appetite for this podcast um, increasing competition coming. Um, I'll say no more. Um, so, yeah, please do help us out and to get the, get the word out. Let people know about AK90s. Um, go through the previous episodes and listen to them because they are brilliant. So, yeah, go on iTunes and leave us a little review. That would be very, very, very much appreciated uh, but let's get on with today's show then um you'll be hearing me and greg lansdowne chewing the fat over 1990-91 and an interview with steve chettle i'm ash rose thanks for listening and keep it 90s 
Well, joining me on the line then for this first look back at uh, our yearly look back at the 90s. So we're starting with 1990, 91. Yeah, a long time ago for some. But yeah, we're going to start looking back at season by season. And I'm joined by someone who spent some of the early 90s writing to football magazines and fanzines, which we'll talk about later. Uh, but in his later life, he is now the author of the absolutely brilliant book, Stuck On You. If you like your football stickers, want to know more, want to know the history behind the football stickers, you need to buy this book. Fantastic. Mr. Greg Lansdowne, how are you doing? Yes, well, I'm doing wonderfully seeing as I'm talking about a, a season that lives long in my memory. So, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to the, to the next uh, 45 minutes. Yes, well, at this point, I must put a little disclaimer out and say that this is going to be very Arsenal-centric, this show. Not on purpose, but this is a season um, without giving it, not giving spoilers away. This happened over 25 years ago. You know, Arsenal won the league and very much part of the sort of... The story of the season, both on the pitch and a couple of instances, well, one was very much on the pitch, but some stuff off the pitch as well. So yeah, there's a lot of Arsenal talk on here, but we all get through a bit more. We'll talk about the other side of North London, which probably pains Greg a little bit. We'll talk about Tottenham's FA Cup run. We'll also look at Sheffield Wednesday's win in the uh, Rumbelows Cup, as it was known then. Rumbelows, of course, no longer existing. Plus, looking back at the Cup Winners' Cup and a few bits and bobs. Of course, we'll talk about stickers with Greg, a bit about TV, and also Dr. Joseph Venglos. There's a name from the 90s. Um, but that's kickstart with uh, the 90s football CV, which we haven't done for a few weeks because uh, we haven't had a guest back on. And Greg, you were on our pod last season where we did a brilliant sticker pod, which you can go back and listen to if you go back on iTunes and look for that. It's called Got, Got Need, which one of our first shows we did. And it's absolutely brilliant. We look back at stickers. Um, we did players with you then. So the second time we get people on, we say game. So your favourite Arsenal game of the 1990s? Uh, there, there are a lot to choose from. Uh, which is always a, always a good thing. But uh, I think I'd have to go for the 3rd of May 1998 when Arsenal clinched the league and uh, against Everton. But for me, most importantly, Tony Adams got the, the fourth goal, being my, my favourite player, uh, to, to score it in, in the way that he did. It was a, it was a couple of years after he'd um, come out as an alcoholic and, and given up drinking. It was Arsene Wenger's first full season uh, did the double that year, so I think everything came together in that in that moment when when Tony Adams got got the fourth goal. Yeah, that was the, was that the ball from Steve Bold? Was that that goal? Yeah. Well, that yeah, that that probably made it even uh, even better. The uh, the old centre back partnership uh, Arsenal had always uh, had been lamb, lambasted for a lot of the nineties, certainly the first half under George Graham, um, and the, and then it just showed how. Arsene Wenger had transformed them, that uh, Steve Bowl was putting through a ball like that and, and Tony Adams was getting forward. He, it, it, even at 3-0, it's not something he would have been allowed to do under under George Graham. But uh, it, it showed he was three as a footballer, but also uh, three as a, as a person. Uh, and as I say, that was a special moment for anyone who was there that day. Yeah, that's the would you believe it as well, if I remember rightly, Martin Tyler's yes. fantastic bit of commentary. We'll talk about that season later in this in our season. We'll talk about that year, 1997-98, another great season for Arsenal. Um, outside of Highbury as it was then, uh, your favourite game of the 90s that didn't involve Arsenal? Yeah, it's. Uh, I think when when you're picking a, a favourite game, it, it's it's also got to have uh, some personal resonance. And uh, for me, um, the the summer of '96 uh, was the uh, was was when I was doing my my final exams at university, 
And uh, on the day that I did my, my final final exam, uh, that, that evening just happened to be England playing Netherlands in Euro 96. So I'm sure you can imagine I was already in a good mood uh, <laughs> go, going into watching that game. And uh, I, I don't think it would have been possible to put on for England to put on a better show than that for, for me. But, but maybe they were even doing it for me. Um, I've, I've, I've certainly never seen England play as well before or after i can i can think of a few games uh that i've seen that have, have made me proud to be an england fan a few games against germany the uh the the 5-1 against yeah. germany was was obviously uh a, a, a game where we destroyed the opposition but i think the fact that this was a, a tournament game uh that the netherlands were on the point of uh, imploding but if you look at their their team that day they had a lot of players who played in the uh, the Ajax Champions League victory the the year before. Um, I, I just I just think that it's uh, it's one of those games, probably a, a one in a lifetime game. And 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 if you if you read the the, the quotes from people like Sheringham and Shearer, they they will say that that this was their favourite England game. And I mean that they were the ones on the pitch. I think you don't need to say more say more than that really about. Uh, what was so special about that performance? Well, a very special, special night. And uh, yeah, look back at Euro 96. We did that at the, at the end of last season. We did two pods on Euro 96. And it was uh, a special, special summer for those involved, as, as Greg mentioned there. Go back and listen to them because we really enjoyed talking about Euro 96. But we're going to talk now a little bit before that. It's 1990-91. So let's set the scene slightly. We're coming into the season off Italia 90. So England's successful tournament uh, where they reached the semi-finals. Obviously that heartbreaking defeat to Germany, Gaza's tears and Waddle and Pierce is awful, awful for them. Penalty misses. Um, ended up in fourth place after defeat in, uh, to Italy in the uh, silly third, fourth playoff game that nobody wants to play in. Um, and we, I think there was more optimism going into the season. I think football was slowly getting back to being something that people were allowed to like again after all the disasters of the late 80s. It was the first time that clubs in Euro English clubs in Europe were allowed back in, which we'll talk about later on with Manchester United and their Cup Winners' Cup run. And for Arsenal, as we've already said at the top of the show, it was a very, very successful season. Um, we're not going to go by this sort of chronologically because I think, one, it will take too long in terms of, uh, like, you've looked, watched those Premier League years, which we love here, but they are literally two and a half hours long. So I'm not, we're not going to go game by game, month by month. We're just going to take sections and stories of the season. And Arsenal's is very much the big story of the season. Champions, one defeat in all of the season and people talk about the Invincibles Greg and obviously they didn't go undefeated but people seem to forget about this team this hard working George Graham team only lost one game against Chelsea can you pick out a few moments in that season for you that stick out uh, championship winning and, and that team what it meant to you uh, as a fan yeah well I think you built them up there as, as being hard working etc and I think that is probably a bit of a myth because yes it's yes they, they had a very good defense which is not a crime um Arsene Wenger clearly thinks it is over the, the second <laughs> half of his time at the club but um it wasn't just about having a good defense uh, they got Anders Limpar in at the start of the season which was which was crucial when, when they won the league two years prior they had uh, Brian Marwood on on the left wing who would cut inside onto his right foot and they got uh a similar player, but uh, with even more flair in Anders Limpar. And you can't win the league just with a solid defence. So Arsenal had a solid defence 
throughout the, the George Graham era, but there were also periods where they didn't score many goals. Well, they, they averaged nearly two goals a game this season. Uh, Anders Limpar was, was, was in, instrumental. Alan Smith was uh, on form and won the Golden Boot. Yep. But they also, they also had other flair players like, like Paul Merson and Paul, Paul Davis, David Rowcastle. Although that wasn't one of his better seasons. Um, Michael Thomas was, was charging through the midfield as, as ever. And as I say, it, it wasn't just about uh, a workman-like team. You, you, they, they, they mixed it. And, there were, and if you want me to talk about certain games, then I, I would say uh, the second-half destruction of, of Chelsea at home uh, when they got four goals. Uh, Anders Limpar was the, was, the, was the star in that game. Um, and also, if, if we're going to just focus to start with on the, on the first half of the season, I, I would look at a, a couple of away games that, that I was at. Um, one of them that will upset you was, was QPR away, <laughs> uh, and the other was, was Coventry away. And I think what was key to these games was that uh, the Coventry game was nil-nil, uh, going into the last 10 minutes and the, the QPR game they were 1-0 down going into the, the last 15 minutes uh, they, they beat Coventry 2-0 they beat QPR 3-1 and it was, uh, it was it was the never say die attitude but also Anders Limpar scored two goals at, at Coventry so you had to have the flair to go with that to, to break the deadlock um, and, and QPR that that was uh, Kevin Campbell was uh, came on and, and scored a goal in that game, and I think that that was a sign of things to come in in the second half of the season for him. Again, you, like with uh, Eric Cantona the following season, Ronnie Rosen saw the previous season. You have to have people come in in the second half of the season just to just to keep things going, and and he was a key member of the, the squad as well. You mentioned Anders Limpar there. He's someone that. I don't think people look back and remember how good he really was. I, I certainly do. And, and obviously in that era, there was very few foreign players. One at QPR you mentioned, and, and Roy Wegley was one. But Anders Limpar for sure was the, the flair player of that season. Just how good was Anders Limpar for that team? Well, uh, Arsenal supporters got their first glimpse of him on, on English soil during the Makita tournament at the, the start of the season. And... The first game that he played in that tournament was against Aston Villa and he scored a, a spectacular goal to open the scoring and he never looked back uh, in, in that, that season. He had, uh, he had pace, he had trickery, he scored goals, he set up goals. You, you really couldn't ask for anything more than that. Well, George Grant could have asked for more because he would have wanted <laughs> them to, to defend more. But it's very rare that you get everything in a player and fortunately... Arsenal had uh, a lot of other players in that team who were willing to do his donkey work. And as long as he's doing doing the, the flair work, then I don't think they mind doing that. So it, it worked very well on that season. And George Graham was not stupid. The reason why he bought him was because the previous season, although they, they'd remained relatively solid at the back, it just wasn't working in, in attack. And you've always got to have players like that if, if you're going to win a title. Yeah, no, was a great player. We... We talk about Limpar because he was involved in a, a particular incident in the early part of the season that is well remembered in the 1990s and something that possibly even spurred later during the decade Man United and Arsenal's bitter rivalry that you know spawned into the next decade and the, the Pizza Gate and all that all could be sort of traced back to 20th of October 1990 Old Trafford it was a one nil win uh, for Arsenal which Anders Limpar scored the winner 
But the, all the headlines went to a, was it, 21-man brawl, which started on the, just after the hour mark, uh, Nigel Winterburn made a tackle on Dennis Irwin, if I remember rightly. Uh, and, yeah. and the McClare and Irwin retaliated, then Limpar came in, Ince pushed somebody into an advertising hoardings, and then I think it was only David Seaman who didn't get involved in this mass brawl, which you didn't see, I mean, it, it, it's not that nowadays, we don't see it, but this was a very, this was everybody involved Everybody really going for it, pushing. It was a little bit sort of, you know, handbags at dawn. But it was quite, it wasn't good taste, was it? It wasn't good viewing for, for either side. I, you said Ince pushed someone. I think you'll find it was Anders Limpar into the stand. I, I would have liked to have seen him try it on, on Adams or Bowles. Yeah. Um, wasn't quite but, the governor uh, there, was he? No. But uh, you, you say what went on afterwards in, uh, involving Man United and Arsenal stemmed from that day. But uh, actually, there are a couple of incidents or games uh, that, that triggered off the, the Old Trafford brawl. Firstly, in 86-87 at Old Trafford, uh, Norman Whiteside has a lot of good memories about this this game. He, he certainly put in a, a lot of solid tackles. But uh, in, in the end, it was David Rocastle who uh, who was the one who got, got sent off. And I think a lot of Arsenal supporters, players and management will feel aggrieved that uh, David Rocastle was the only person who got sent off on, on that day. That was, that, that was certainly a, a fiercer game overall than the 1991 game. And then uh, in terms of Brian McClare and, and Nigel Winterburn, what, what started all that off was... Brian McClare missed a penalty in the last minute of a, an FA Cup tie in 87-88 at Highbury. And Nigel Winterburn uh, taunted him afterwards. And he obviously never never forgot that. Uh, and as I say, that's what that's really what, what, what triggered this off. Uh, it didn't help that Arsenal had already been involved in something similar the season before against Norwich. And that was the reason why they got an extra point deducted uh, to Manchester United, although that, that didn't stop. Arsenal supporters and uh, everyone connected to the club feeling aggrieved by it. Yeah, you mentioned the points deduction. So Arsenal got one point, uh, two points deducted, and Manchester United won. Both were fined fifty thousand pound each as well. But unsurprisingly, uh, Keith Hackett, who was referee at the time and, and very much a, one of the top referees of the era, no red cards were, were issued. That very much sort of says a lot about that day and age and style of football. If you can imagine that now, you'd see. A, yellow cards and red cards flinging out everywhere but nobody was really sort of individually pointed out on the day were they I think probably because there were too many and uh, they he wanted to keep the game on mm. I, I, you can't send off 21 players and you probably could have justified sending off half half the players that day for what what they did certainly in this day and age you could have justified it so I think it was a case of oh just 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 get on with it i i haven't seen anything wait wait, wait for the fa to make make their decision on it and they certainly did yeah and they and they steamrolled really much didn't they with those points deductions as you say it was wasn't really accepted by both sets of fans but it didn't stop arsenal as we say they went on to win the league they won the league on the 6th of may 1991 they were crowned champions after beating Manchester United and hearing the news that title challengers Liverpool uh, had lost to Nottingham Forest the same day. So that was when they were crowned champions, worthy champions. What was the one defeat at Chelsea? Was that one blip on, on the uh, the fixture list? What happened there? And uh, do, you, do you look back and think, damn it, we could have been unbeaten? Well, I was there that day. And uh, if you remember, it was a long way from the terraces to the, the pitch at Chelsea in those days. So uh, I'm, 
I've I've read that Arsenal lost, but it was so so far. My my eyesight wasn't very good, so maybe they they didn't. But uh, but no, it was it was during the time when when Tony Adams was uh, was in prison, and um, Steve Bowl went off injured that day. So Michael Thomas ended up going into the into the defence, and unfortunately that that was uh, one patch up too far for that that team at the time. Um, Alan Smith got a, a very late consolation goal to, uh, to to make it look closer than it was. But you know, I think uh, I, I think all Arsenal supporters would have taken one defeat over the season oh, it, yeah. at, at the start of the season. It, it, it's not. I, I don't know why, but I don't really remember thinking too much. And certainly in the press, I know there wasn't as much media in those days. But I don't seem to remember people keep going on while Arsenal were unbeaten that, that, that they could remain unbeaten for the whole season. Probably because of the fact that for a large chunk up to that time, they weren't top of the league. So it was a case of we're unbeaten, but we're not even top. Um, as it happened, the, the league game before the Chelsea game, Arsenal had gone top for the first time that season. But then they lost to Chelsea and then they went back to second to Liverpool. So, as I say, it, it was more a case of, especially having two points deducted, it was more a case of, well, can we, can we keep winning to try and keep up with Liverpool? Because even though they, they might have lost, it doesn't look like anyone's going to be able to catch them. Mm. Lastly, on Arsenal then, uh, we'll talk, you mentioned it there, Tony Adams, um, he went to prison during this season. This was the first time we, we sort of publicly knew that Adams was suffering from certain problems. This was for uh, a drink driving, uh, 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 well, something that happened with drink driving, and he was meant to go to prison for uh, four months, went for eight weeks. Um, as you say, that happened when the defeat happened when he wasn't out. How, I mean, was this a sign of things to come? Did Arsenal fans kind of know there was something wrong with Tony Adams, or was it just a bolt from the blue? Obviously, the drinking culture was very big at the time at the club, not just at Arsenal, at all clubs at the time, Manchester United especially as well so it's how big a blow was that at the time thinking in your title challenge well I remember on the day thinking that uh, this is this is probably it for Tony Adams There's, yeah. it's going to be very hard to come back as a, as a professional footballer and especially the way that the, the media were, were were blowing it up um, uh, once he's inside it's it's just a case. I mean, selfishly as an Arsenal supporter, you're thinking, well, how are we going to to cope without him? Uh, as it happened, George Graham went back to a, a three a three centre backs uh, five five at the back formation for a lot of the time during his absence, and uh, and Arsenal did manage to cope. Um, what I remember is uh, his his first game back. Uh, as a, for the Arsenal reserves against uh, against Reading. Uh, at, at Highbury on a, on a Saturday afternoon, and I, I was one of several thousand who, who, who turned up to that. And um, it, it, from from that point, it was a case of right, our, our, our captain's out. Arsenal beat Leeds in the FA Cup that that day in a replay, and uh, business is is resumed for for everyone. Um, for, for for Tony Adams, he it, it obviously didn't put him off drinking for for several years to come. Um, and, and as you say, it wasn't wasn't just him. You read Paul Merson's many books; he'll, he'll tell you that he was certainly uh, knocking it back heavily during that season, as were a lot of his his teammates and uh, a lot of players in in the country. There, there weren't that many 
foreigners around those days. I know Anders Limpar was was shocked when he when it when it when he came over, but uh, the the more foreigners that came in brought a, a more more professional attitude and. Uh, that was for the for the good of the game. I seem to remember a game at Loftus Road actually. That was that the season that Tony Adams swore at the QPR fans. Was that the, the same? Was that the season before? Yeah, no, he uh, he, he flicked the V's. Yeah, and uh, and he got in in trouble for that. And and I remember when when uh, somebody said on on the day that he was sent to prison, old Tony Adams has, has got done. And I, I thought they were talking about. Uh, He's been fined or suspended for flicking the V's at QPR because it was around the same time that mm. he was going to get dealt with for that. And uh, no, it was a, it was a little bit more serious, unfortunately. Mm. He did come back, and as we say, they did win the league. So it was a, a very successful season for Arsenal. Actually, Greg, you put a picture on Twitter last night uh, of some season videos after I put the the race for the championship and the goals galore uh, covers on. Um, three different videos for one season. What was the what was on that Christmas video? Yeah, they used to bring a. a Obviously, unfortunate timing. Uh, Tony Adams dressed as Father Christmas. It would have been I, I would have got it on on Christmas Day, and that'd have been six days after he got sent to prison. So that that was a bit unfortunate timing. But uh, no, it, it was just a uh, a re- review of the first half of the season. Uh, uh, Arsenal, Arsenal did that a few times at that at that point. Videos were were very popular in, in those days. Uh, they would they for, for for decent games that they, they would do the whole ninety minutes yeah. and and bring bring them out. The season reviews, we would all get those as long as our team did reasonably well. And even the uh, the race for the championship videos, we, we all love them as well. Yeah, yeah, the goals galore and stuff. And I have the, the season video, the QPRs one. They all had that same... See, the Arsenal one's slightly different in that you put the end of season one, the championship on it. All the rest that of them... Was, that, was, that was the, the club's one. The club's but one. There was, there was also the... the the Football League's one as yeah, well. Yeah, the CBS so, uh, Fox made I'm, I'm sure I've got that one somewhere as well. Yeah, because they all had that same font, didn't they? They looked the yes. same and stuff. I think, I think Wegley's on the front of ours, actually, if I remember rightly. Um, need a VCR back in my life, because I've still got that on on video sitting next to me, but I haven't got a VCR, so I need a, to track one down so I can watch that again. Um, looking back as well, I just must mention, actually... Um, Somebody who follows us on Twitter, Matthew Christ, uh, you can follow us at AK90s. He wrote an article uh, about the Man United uh, Arsenal game, uh, the brawl, uh, which is great. I'll, I'll retweet that. It's, uh, it's a good read. He also did uh, something on the what we're going to talk about next, which is Liverpool and the Everton 4, Liverpool 4 game, which one of the best games of the 90s. One we haven't actually mentioned a lot here on Live and Kicking when we've done games and some of the even the Everton and Liverpool fans we spoke to they haven't mentioned it as much as some of the bigger games of the decade the, the three all of Man United of course the four threes against Newcastle um, but this game I remember it quite vividly I remember Barnes's goal from the sort of edge of the box that went in the top corner fantastic FA Cup game um, but it's remembered more because it was the game where Kenny Dalglish uh, resigned uh, shortly afterwards, which was a bit of a shock at the time. Kenny Douglas, who had been a legendary player and then manager, they were the reigning champions at the time, resigned. Uh, a lot of it was said that it was under pressure, still feeling the back of the sort of Hillsborough disaster was still resting on his shoulders. But this really threw a spanner in the works for Liverpool. What do you remember, Greg, about this sort of resignation and coming out of the blue and, and Douglas's Liverpool? It was really the start of them beginning to crumble, wasn't it? Yeah, well, I, I watched uh, I watched the highlights back uh, a couple of days ago just to just to refresh mm, my memory yeah. on it. And um, yeah, if if you look at Kenny Dalglish, he, he was in, impassive throughout, and he, he looked and, and was drained. Uh, I was reminded that he he didn't make a substitute in the 120 minutes, and uh, he he said since that he he wanted to put a substitute on 
uh, I think when it was three two or four three, and uh, he just didn't didn't do it. Um, he, he was he was paralysed by it. So that's you know I think that that probably was a was a telltale sign that it probably was was time to get out. But um, in in terms of one of my biggest memories of it uh, before I'd watched it, I, I remember it was uh, it was live on uh, BSB British Satellite of Broadcasting. Course, yeah. They'd um, they had actually merged, which was really a takeover by by Sky uh, a few months earlier. But uh, Sky was was still using the BSB Sports Channel's coverage, so it was uh, Richard Keyes was was presenting, and uh, Martin Tyler was commentating, and, and Andy Gray was doing the doing the expert summarising. And uh, what they were doing was something a bit different to what what we were used to on um, on BBC and ITV, and that in the Andy Gray was uh, was was being brought into the the commentary a lot more, and and I think he played his part in the, in in making the game uh, dramatic. Not not that you would think you would need to, but uh, but I just remember his 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 contribution uh, in in that, and just just the overall coverage. It was. We we didn't get a lot get to watch a lot of football, especially during during the midweek in, in those days, and, uh, and 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 it was just nice to to have the opportunity to watch to watch games like that. Um, in, in terms of in terms of the actual game, uh, I, I I think it showed that uh, Liverpool were were vulnerable if if we needed uh, to know by then anyway. They they lost to Arsenal three 0 earlier in the season. Um, Alan Hansen didn't play a game that season and ended up retiring. Mark Lawrenson had left a couple of years before and their, their defence just wasn't the same. And and it hasn't been, been the same since. They That game, they still had the big names up front of, of Rush and Barnes and Beardsley and that, that, that was a title-winning attack. But uh, ultimately, they didn't have a, a title-winning defence. Uh, a, a lot of players weren't as good as their predecessors and then there are other players who were coming towards the end of their, their careers or had certainly peaked and that and if you if you look at the game, the goals that Everton score, they're just riddled with errors. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they're scrappy goals, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Um Liverpool's goals, especially Beardsley and uh, and Barnes's were were probably goal of the season contenders. Mm. But uh, it doesn't matter, you know, it doesn't miss a goal is a goal and I, we shouldn't take anything away from Everton that that day because they kept coming back. To, uh, you know, Tony Cotty, a pr- prolific striker, Graham Graham Sharp uh, did a lot of good work for Everton over over around a decade, and uh, they they had some good players as well, especially uh, offensively. Mm. This was back in the days where they went to another replay as well, wasn't it? Because I think it went to another replay. And yeah. Everton won one nil. So yeah, it was back in the days when you just used to keep going until there was a winner. I, th- I think I remember a Crystal Palace Nottingham Forest tie around. I don't think it was that. I think it could have been that season actually that just went keep going. I think they ended up to a third or fourth replay. Yeah, well, Arsenal Arsenal beat Leeds in, in a third replay mm. that that year as well. Well, that in in terms of the Crystal Palace one, could that have been the one when John Solarko scored a, a goal from long? long yeah, range? I was just about to say that. Yeah, that the worldie from from John yeah. Solarko. Yeah, absolutely worldie goal. Yeah, so they complain about games now, but just think, you used to play about six or seven bloody replays as well back in the early nineties in in the FA Cup. But that was about the end. Graham Soonis took over from Kenny Dalglish. Um, obviously, it was towards the end of the season. At that point um, couldn't 
steer Liverpool to the title and as we have already mentioned Arsenal on their way and what happened with Liverpool and Tunis will pick up again in, our, in the next show when we talk a following season but they were never quite the Liverpool that we've seen since and obviously haven't won the league either um, but talking about the FA Cup because that game is when the FA Cup, wants, FA Cup was as well um, I'm going to break Greg's heart a slight bit now because we're just going to steer towards the, the Tottenham run in the FA Cup. They won the FA Cup in 1991. Again, no spoilers. I'm sure you know that already. Um, big run, big influence from one Paul Gascoigne. Um, we'll talk about that Wembley moment in a moment, Greg. But, I mean, throughout the, the run that Tottenham had in the FA Cup, they beat Blackpool, Oxford, Portsmouth, Notts County, and and then the semi-final. I mean, Gazza was imperial, wasn't it? I remember a game, I think it was the Notts County game. He was just unplayable, wasn't he? Yeah, that game was on... Um... Uh, BBC's match today, I, th- I think, live. And, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, as an Arsenal supporter, I think the fact that Arsenal won the league that year means it's not... Uh, Softened the blow. Not so much of a problem to talk yeah. about uh, Tottenham's run that year. Um, but, yeah, Paul Gascoigne, obviously, throughout the uh, throughout the, the tournament, uh, from the third round to the, to the semi-final, he, he was their, their talisman. But uh, they, they certainly showed in the final that... Uh, Tottenham weren't all about him yeah. because uh, he he self-destructed and and that they went on to win the game and uh, when when you've got a, one of the best strikers in the world in in Gary Lineker I mean if you've got Paul Gascoigne and, and Gary Lineker in your team then there's always a good chance that you're you're going to have a cup run and uh, and so it turned out that 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 season and what made it even better for them was the semi-final. Yeah, it was a massive semi-final. The first semi-finals to be played at Wembley, which they still do now, which I hate as well, which I don't know why they do it. Absolutely stupid idea. But that was, it seemed fitting at least for that game. It was a great game of football for a neutral. That free kick, I mean, what are your memories? Obviously not great ones from that game, but as an occasion, a fantastic occasion for the FA Cup and for North London. Yeah, well, I, I thought I'd splash out for me and my dad, and we were in the uh, the Olympic Gallery. That, uh, oh, that, get you. that uh, if you remember the Olympic Gallery, as it yeah. was in the old the old stadium. Yeah, it wasn't. Uh, it, I didn't get my value for money that day, but <laughs> uh, but again, I, I I find it hard to be churlish about that season because you, you you're not going to win everything. Yes, of yeah. course, it, of course, it hurt at the time, but uh, that 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 was Tottenham's day. It wasn't. Uh, one of Arsenal's best performances of the season, and it was David Seaman's worst game of the season. He'll he'll say that uh, he his uh, studs got stuck in the turf for Gascoigne's goal, and he, as a world class goalie, he'll be disappointed that he he should have saved it. But Gascoigne certainly made it as hard as possible for him to do so. And the uh, and the third goal uh, from Gary Lineker, well, he definitely should have, should have saved that one. But um, no, Tot- Tottenham were the better team on the day. Arsenal uh, pushed them in the second half, but. Uh, I, I mean, I, I, unlike the Everton-Liverpool game, I didn't re-watch that game to refresh my memory. But uh, I don't, I don't recall Arsenal having that many clear-cut chances in the second half when it when it was two-one. So uh, it it just wasn't to be. Yeah, I think you hit them now on the head. But it was it was just Tottenham's day, and I think that season it seemed destined for Gazza. Obviously, as we said, the final didn't go to plan, at least for Paul Gascoigne and his tackle. Firstly on Gary Parker, then on uh, Gary Charles, led to him being stretched off very early on in the game. Obviously, Tottenham went on to win. Uh, Des Walker with the famous own goal winner after Stuart Pearce had scored and Paul Stewart had equalised uh, for Tottenham. Uh, wearing a new kit as well, I must say. I always love it when they wear a new kit in an FA Cup final. It makes me laugh. Too early, too early. 
Um, but we're going to just switch to today's guest, actually, because he played in that, that final. He's a stalwart for Nottingham Forest uh, throughout the 90s. He made his debut in the early 80s, left the club in 1999, so played the entire decade at the city ground, played in the 91 final as well as the 1990 League Cup final. He is former defender, talking to me earlier today, Steve Chettle, talking to Alive and Kicking. Joining me on the line now is former Nottingham Forest. Well, he's somewhat of a legend, actually, down at the city ground. Um, Steve Chettle, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. No problem. Thanks for calling. Uh, we'll take you back to the 90s, as we always do on this show. Um, so come 1990, you were very much part of a Nottingham Forest team uh, that won two League Cups in a row. What do you remember about those successful early years of the decade? Uh, well, I got into the team in the late 90s uh, and I was on the substitutes bench for the 89 game against uh, Luton. Uh, I played the game against Oldham uh, in 1990, uh, which was a successful year. You know, we had, some, had a decent start to the 90s, a, a semi-final the FA Cup uh, and got to the League Cup final. Uh, and we used to have a, like an annual trip to Wembley in the early 90s, which was quite nice. <laughs> Yeah, of, of course, yeah, the two local wins. Nigel Jensen was the winner, wasn't it, if I remember rightly, the Oldham game? Yeah, 1-1 one, now, one, Gemma scored the goal. Uh, it was a tight game, Steve sort of made a great save at the end uh, just to keep us 1-0. But yeah, it was, a, it was a good start to the 90s and like I said, I played all my career at Forest from late 80s right the way through the whole of the 90s. So 1990 was a, was a good year for us. We're talking particularly this episode about the 1990-91 the season. And of course, that's the season Forest, as you said, reached Wembley again in the FA Cup final. Is yeah. that different? Is it a different build-up to the League Cup finals? Because especially back then, we were still very much the magic of the Cup. Did it feel different at the time? Yeah, it was. I think uh, everybody realised worldwide you know, how famous the FA Cup is. Uh, and we'd mostly get to two semi-finals previous uh, and not mostly get over the final hurdle to get to the final. But we, uh, we beat West Ham 4-0 at Villa Park in the semi-final when West Ham went down to 10 men. And... Uh, it's one of those things where you look back and you think, really, I should remember more about it and, and take a bit more of it in. But it was a bit, uh, it was a bit mind blowing, to be quite fair, from watching it as a kid, all the way through being tiny to playing in it in 1991 against, you know, the Gaza final, the Carolinica penalty save, the Mark Crosty save, uh, and then the Des Walk infamous own goal. Uh, so it wasn't how it should have ended for like, myself and obviously Brian Clough, but it was something that you'd always remember and you always, but you've been there to say you've done it. You mentioned, obviously, the Gaza injury. I mean, it was the year of Gascoigne. Remember the early rounds as well. What do you remember about that incident? Did it seem quite innocuous at the time? Because obviously the attack on Gary Charles was was in favour of Forrest. What what do you remember about the Gaza incident? Well, there was one before that on Gary Parker where, you know, I think Paul is excitable. I've known Paul. I played in the 21s with Paul. And he's excitable. He does get really... uh, excited about the games. And I think he was a little bit too excited to start with he nearly took Gary Parker's chest out in the first five minutes. And obviously, the Gary Charles tackle saw the end of Gaza in the final. And it, it led to Stewart scoring the first goal. And everything started really well. Uh, but then Naeem came on, played really well for Spurs. And uh, the rest is history, shall we say. What was it like for, for Des Walker? I mean, obviously, he was such a, a big player, not for just for us, but England at the time. How was What was he like in, in the dressing room afterwards? Because it was obviously his unfortunate own goal that, that turned out to be the winner. Yeah, I don't think anything needed to be discussed, to be fair. I think everybody was really, really uh, distraught for him and distraught for ourselves. But, you know, Des was a great pro. He's been a great player for Nottingham Forest for, for a long, long time uh, and carried on to have a great career still. Mm-hmm. You must have a Brian Clough story. I'm sure everybody does. Um, is there anyone any stories you could tell us about the great man? 
No, it's something that really helped me from being, I came out, out of school at 16 in 1985 and came to Forest. Uh, and obviously Brian Clough was a manager who was this huge personality I'd seen from the stands and watched on the TV when, you know, my home club won two European Cups in the late 70s and 1980. So it was something that really helped me. But the, the, the biggest thing that sticks out in my mind, which I've passed on to now, obviously, people in my coaching career is, I was told one very simple thing from him. He says, you're a centre-back. All you have to do is head it and kick it and give it to somebody better than you in the team, which is everybody else. So, so I've passed that mist on to him and it, it was quite simple, uh, but you knew where you stood within the team uh, and it was something that helped me immensely uh, right the way through the start of my career. Good advice there from Brian. And going a little bit very, very good advice. Yeah, yeah going a little bit further. It's kind of limited on the skills front. It was, it was very good advice. <laughs> going a little bit further into the nineties. I mean, Forest sort of mid nineties came somewhat of a of a favourite team, second team to, to people outside, and great players like Brian Roy and Steve Stone and Stan Collymore. What was that team uh, like to play in? Well, it was a, it was a change of the guard, really. Obviously, the, the old gaffer left uh, when we got relegated out of the Premier League. Um, Frank Clark came in. And Frank Clark was obviously a playing legend from being the European club team, uh, but he, he he came in and he basically changed the whole he changed the whole system. We didn't have fitness coaches under Brian Clough. He brought a fitness coach in. Stan Collymore came in, and Brian Roy was around, and they literally they, they took the, the league by storm really in that first year. And I think we surprised quite a few and finished third in the Premier League, uh, and then qualified for the UEFA Cup as it was then. And uh, and that's a really couple of good years under Frank. Yeah, I've seen from your Twitter cover photo, you have the, the programme from the Bayern Munich game. Is that from the European yeah. Adventure? That's, I mean, from, that's from the quarter final, uh, the old uh, Olympic Stadium in Munich. Yeah, when we uh, we thought we had a right chance because we only got beat 2-1 away from home. Uh, and then obviously we brought them back to City Ground thinking we got a chance and <laughs> we got smashed to pieces by Jürgen Klinsmann. We got beat 5-1 at home, which uh, which wasn't the greatest farewell to a European competition. But it was a great campaign, and we all enjoyed it. Mm. I've got great memories of that team, actually. The, the, the Stan Collymores and the Brian Roy's really sort of fast attacking football and stuff. Yeah. Um, not so much for the kits, though. I seem to remember that yellow kit. I think that's the picture on the programme, actually. Well, what do players yeah, well, think? That, that, that means quite a bit to me, to be fair. I know it's been absolutely slaughtered by people in the past, <laughs> but that kit means quite a bit to me. And obviously, that's on the front of my Twitter profile as well. Uh, and I've still got that hanging up at home. Um, oh, so, 90s classic. So people, can, people can say what they want about it. There were some rascal shirts about at the time, and the keepers cop for most of the brunt of the uh, the fashion icons. But no, I quite like that yellow one. It means a lot to me. Yeah, me too. Um, we always like this about the former players. I mean, you mentioned Klinsman there. I mean, who would be the best players that you played against in the 90s and, and you played with? Uh, well, the best player I've played with is Frank Collymore. Uh, mm. he, you know, I've, I've done forums before and I've done Q&As with people and said, Stan Collymore was probably the closest thing to the original Ronaldo that England had. Uh, you know, the goal when he first came to Forest and scored against Manchester United at home when the stand was being reconstructed at the Trent end was, was, a, was a great goal. But that wasn't the only one he scored. He scored, you know, five, six, seven of those in the season. Uh, best player played alongside as a defender probably Stuart Pearson Des Walker helped me immensely when I first came into the team uh, they helped me through a lot of stuff and we travelled away to England games and I was in the 21s and they were in the senior squad so they were people that I looked up to uh, probably the best players I've played against uh, Eric Cantona is probably the best player I've played against but Jürgen Klinsmann's up there amongst them uh, I didn't like playing against Mark Hughes and Niall Quinn mm. uh, 
different sorts of people. Mark Hughes was a big, strong character who uh, tried to pin you, and, and Niall Quinn was probably like you, in modern-day Peter Crouch. You, he's, he's got more skill than people give him credit for. He's got really good feet, and he's tidy and scores a good goal. Mm, big, good feet for a big man, as they say. Good for a big one. Yeah. yeah. And looking back then, you say you spent pretty much all the 90s until you went to Barnsley in 99 at Nottingham Forest. Can you pick out your, yeah. a couple of favourite moments of the decade? Would it be the cup finals or were there certain other moments for you? Uh, no, the cup finals were one. Obviously, the European campaign is another one uh, for me, which was uh, which was a lot of fun and really enjoyable. Uh, captaining your home team club in the Premier League is another thing that I look, you know, look upon. But it, it was a bit of a, an up-and-down, topsy-turvy nine years that I was there. We did really well for three years. I would say qualified for Europe, finished eighth in the league, got relegated, went back up again, got relegated, went back up again. So I think the two promotion campaigns when we won the old first division were really good times as well, obviously under Dave Bassett when he came in as well. So, you know, I think winning away at West Brom when we won the league, uh, we won away at Peterborough, funnily enough, when we won the league as well. So just promotions are nice and I try not to... Uh, dwell too much on the relegations mm. just thinking actually relegations were you there the, the day that Ron Atkinson sat in the wrong dugout no I, I, I play, that was the Arsenal game wasn't it yes it was yes. yeah that was the Arsenal I played in the Arsenal game yeah when he uh, when he sat on the bench and saw saw their bench and thought why the hell are we in this match <laughs> we've got these players on the bench yeah played did he get that. any stick from you lot for that or did you not of say of course not of <laughs> course not no he was the manager it was full respectful <laughs> what are you up to nowadays, Steve? You said you were coaching. Well, what are you up to? I'm at Nuneaton Town in the Conference North. I'm assistant manager there. Uh, so I've been doing that. This is my second year. Uh, I came out of Nottingham Forest coaching under 23s about four years ago now. I went into management with Kevin Wilson at Ilkeston. Uh, and obviously, the, the Shea Adams is probably the most high profile player that we had at uh, Ilkeston. He went on to Sheffield United mm-hmm. and now he's doing really well at Birmingham. I've been into that. It's 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 trying to develop people, and young players who have come out of pro clubs and need a new chance. Uh, we've managed to do that with we've had three people go from Nuneaton back into the league as well. Uh, so that's where I am at the moment. I'm uh, I'm back. I'm on the coaching trail. Brilliant. Well, good luck with that. Thank you for that trip down Nottingham Forest memory lane. Uh, good luck for the rest of the season. Thanks, guys. Thanks for the phone call. Cheers, Steve. Bye bye. Bye. Good memories there from Steve Chettle. What. A- what Staller? I always remember his, uh, his sticker. He's one of those stickers that I got all the time for some reason during uh, one of the Merlin editions. I'm sure you'll you'll remember that his Merlin sticker fondly, Greg. But yeah, good good memories um, from Steve Jettle. I love a Brian Clough story as well. Such a character of the decade. Just a few more things to look back then on in the 1990-91 season. We've covered the champions. We've covered the FA Cup winners. We've covered Doug Leash and his shock resignation from Liverpool after their 4-4 draw with Everton in February. Um, in the other cup, the Rumbleys Cup, as it was called then, um, Sheffield Wednesday, who were second division at the time, surprised Manchester United, who were the reigning FA Cup holders at the time, uh, with 1-0 at Wembley with a John Sheridan goal. Do you remember this game, John? Uh, oh, Greg, sorry, calling you John Sheridan then. Uh, Greg, and what are your memories of this and Big Rom's Sheffield Wednesday? Yeah, no. You know, you say, do I remember this game? I think... Any game that was televised in that time, mm. I remember. Uh, it, it wasn't it wasn't an era where there were fifty games a week, so we, we would actually watch every game. And uh, yeah, Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, this this was they they'd been relegated the previous season, um, but this was really the the start of a 
it wasn't a long period, but it, it was a, it was a, a golden period for them. They had uh, the likes of uh, David Hurst, John Sheridan, Roland Nielsen, and and it was a team that was that, that should have been in in Division One. Uh, and as it happened, they they did get promoted, only third. So that that's uh, that's credit to Oldham and West Ham for, for finishing above them. But it would have also been the fact that they had a lot of uh, cup games that that season. And uh, I think looking looking at their run, they they probably snuck through without too many people noticing them noticing them until they they played uh, Division One Chelsea and they beat them five one over two legs in the semi final. Uh, so that that must have uh, really given them a lot of confidence to show that that they could compete at that level, and then when when you go on to de- to beat a team like Man United, who again in in terms of the league that wasn't their best season, but uh, they they would go on to win a European final that year. So that 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 must have shown to them that uh, in the following season when they were back in Division One that that they could compete, and and they certainly did. Mm, they did indeed, and you can hear big runs thoughts on that we spoke to him earlier in the season and on that on a previous pod um he can still he still does have to buy a drink in Sheffield put it that way big Ron I think he was very successful still looked really fondly upon in Sheffield for that win and he was a decent team John Harks was another name who was in that team as well who I remember fondly as well the American but that's a great win for Sheffield Wednesday and you mentioned the European run let's quickly talk about Manchester United and the the cup winners cup obviously it was the first season English teams were back in Europe um, a successful one in the Cup Winners' Cup, a tournament that no longer exists, sadly, which I think they should bring it back. Might revamp it slightly, less kind of frowned upon. Europa League might get a bit of revitalisation from that as well. But Man United, yeah, they won the Cup Winners' Cup on uh, in May. They beat Barcelona in the final on a run that uh, I'm going to try and pronounce some of these teams as well. Well, it's the first team, Pesky Messick. Uh, they beat in the first round. Wrexham, they beat in round two, which I don't think a lot of people remember. But yeah, they beat Wrexham quite comfortably over two legs. Montpellier is a game that always sticks out for me because I remember being quite young when this happened, not really knowing a lot about European football and hearing the name Montpellier and thinking it's you know very exotic. And I think they were wearing orange shorts at Old Trafford as well, which always sticks out to me as well, being a kit fan. Uh, Ligia Walsall in the semi-finals, and then Barcelona. And... It was one of those nights that just everything went right for Mark Hughes from Manchester United, and it was good to see an English team reigning supreme in Europe again, wasn't it, Greg? Yeah, you you going through those names, it wasn't the uh, the best quality of, uh, of opposition that they beat on the way. Certainly, I, I remember Leslie Warsaw in particular were, were not uh, a team that uh, probably should have been in a, a European semi final. Yeah, but uh, but but they certainly made up for that by beating Barcelona in. Uh, in, in the final, and I think that that game was was the dawning of a, a new era for the, the club. They they they'd lost to Sheffield Wednesday, which which obviously would have left Man United supporters still thinking, even though they'd won the cup before, thinking, you know, it can Alex Ferguson as he was before the sir at the time do it on on the big occasion. That that proved it. Beating beating Barcelona in a, in a European final, you know. It, at, at that point, for for some supporters, it, it uh, didn't get much better. But obviously, uh, obviously, it did get better for the Man United supporters a few years later. But um, you know, you know, from from there, they they never really looked looked back. And mm. uh, and and I, but I I remember watching all those games on television, and also Aston Villa's um, short run when they beat uh, Inter Milan two 0 at home. Kent Kent Nielsen scoring and David Platt. That was. That was a memorable game because you know you got to remember that uh, a lot of us uh, 
we what 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 was English teams in Europe all about? We we hadn't watched it, hadn't seen it for so long. So it it was it was a novelty for us. And, and when when you saw a team beating an Italian team, that made us think, oh, maybe maybe we can still compete this despite all all that time out. And and Man United beating beat, beating Barcelona proved it. Mm, it was no, and Barcelona as well. I mean, it was. I'm looking at the team now. He had you know like Michael Laudrup and Albert Ferrer, Ronald Koeman. It was it was a team that would go on to win the European Cup just a, a season later. So they, it was a very fantastic performance. And like you say, it set the catalyst uh, for Manchester United in the 90s. I remember watching this. It's a really random story, but we were watching it because I think it must have been on normal TV at the time. You'll correct me if I'm wrong. I think it was on ITV. Yes, it was. Yeah. yeah. And we were watching it at home, me and my dad. And it, for some reason, my, the, my dad had organised uh, an appointment with the cable TV person to come around that night. We were about to get cable TV for the first time. I remember she sat watching it with me and my dad while they discussed finances and when we were going to get this. And that always, I can actually still see that in my head thinking, oh, great, we're getting Sky TV. But actually, I just want to watch the match. Very bizarre, but that, that kind of sticks out to me. Talking of TV, we briefly touched in it earlier with, with B-Sky B and, and their takeover. Um, they showed a lot of the FA Cups you mentioned and some of the Zenith data systems. And then ITV had sort of pick of the Saturday or Sunday games called The Big Match. And we spoke to Elton Wellsby uh, a couple of episodes ago. It was uh, great memories uh, around the time of sadly Graham Taylor died as well, which we had some great memories about. What do you remember of the match? When I spoke, we spoke on earlier in the, in the week on email about it and, and the programmes that used to produce for it as well, the, the match day programmes. Yeah, it, it, it was an event. Uh, we, we didn't get a lot of football to watch. So uh, I, I remember on, on Friday going to the news agents and getting the, 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 the wraparound uh, ITV the the match magazine with with the with the match program inside which I would then have religiously by my side as I as I watched the game. Um, I was actually surprised when I, I rewatched a bit of the Arsenal Liverpool game from March that season that Gary Lineker was uh, was the expert summariser uh, alongside Brian Moore for yeah, that. that game. things to come. I didn't, yeah, I didn't realise that he he started quite that because obviously he was still playing for Tottenham that. That, uh, that that season, but um, but yeah, I, I was one of the my family was one of the few who had the the BSB Squareal, and uh, the, the 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 coverage that that they gave was, was a bit of an eye opener. I know obviously people have uh, have their views on uh, Richard Keys and, and Andy Gray these days, but but uh, along along with Martin Tyler, I think uh, at, at, at that time what 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 they were doing uh, obviously made a lot of people sit up and take notice because uh, when when they merged with Sky they they took that that whole team un, under their wing and and the, the rest is history for them yeah i remember those wraparound i randomly i don't know i think somebody just bought me as a present i had the southampton liverpool match day wraparound program that you could buy from a news agent such uh, a game which i believe southampton won because somebody actually mentioned it on twitter last night uh, Martin Gale uh, said scoring the only goal in our home televised match against Liverpool which was Matt Letizia and being unplayable pretty much all season so yeah I remember those special edition and obviously it was kind of a magazine and as people who listen to this regularly know I'm a magazine editor I'm a magazine person so yeah it was very much something I remember from those days and then the B-Sky B games I remember them showing the Zenith Data Systems Cup I even remember the advert with the big blocky graphics around the background as well so it was really early on of the the tv deals which we'll talk about more when we talk about the 92 93 and obviously the big premier league season as well just a couple more bits i wanted to cover um along the 1990 91 i think you mentioned it earlier aston villa's 
uh, brief run in uh, in Europe and that they beat Inter Milan, which was probably the only highlight for them in a season where they had Dr. Joseph Venglos as manager, uh, completely left field. It's nobody that ever heard of. Not too dissimilar to when Arsene Wenger travelled over to, to these shores. We hadn't heard of him, but really in 1990, having a foreign manager, he was the first one to be in English football as well, was so unheard of. And it didn't go to plan for Mr. Venglos or Dr. Venglos as Villa struggled with relegation for most of the season and he only did last one year in the dugout. Some say he was ahead of his time and some of the things he was, the practices he was bringing in. Um, somebody for you, you, you remember quite vividly, Mr. Dr. Joseph Venglos? Yeah, I think I think it's quite relevant that you mention Arsene Wenger because um, a lot of Arsenal players have, have sent, since said that they were sceptical when, when he first came. Um, and he was probably lucky that, that Tony Adams had just given up drinks, so so he was open to a, to a new a new approach, uh, taking taking his life a bit more more seriously. Six six years previously, I'm, I'm sure that some of the Aston Villa players uh, probably were very sceptical about a, a foreign manager coming in. As you say, it never never happened in the in the top flight. He, he clearly had done a lot of good things uh, in uh, in Czechoslovakia as it as it was as it was at, was at the time, um, and and a team going from second to seventeenth is it just about the manager or have you got to look at look at the players as well, and 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 also I think it's you know what Graham Taylor did at Aston Villa wasn't quite the same as what Sir Alex Ferguson did at Man United, but. Re- Whoever was going to come in after Graham Taylor was going to have a have a difficult job, uh, because he'd done so well. So he probably really was on a, on a hiding to nothing when when you put all of that together. Mm, yeah, I read a quote from him in the week actually talking about his time at the Villa, and he was so surprised at some of the sort of habits of the Aston Villa team, as we mentioned earlier, the drinking culture that was in the game. Um, he he was surprised that footballers and athletes were doing that, and uh, I think some of his practices, as I said, didn't go down well with the Villa team. I think it was too early for English football and it wouldn't really change until later in the decade to, and Arsene Wenger but a really kind of do you remember type manager of that era and went on to do mild success as well in his latter career back in his homeland but never really worked out for him in England Mr Dr Joseph Wenglos very very 1990s but seeing as Greg is here we can't talk to Greg without talking about stickers at the time or cards and collections uh, I know we covered this in the, the sticker pod we did last season um, but Proset were the kind of go-to, weren't they, uh, at this time? A, a collection of cards. Two seasons, was it, they did in the end? Um, yes, and this, this 1991 was their, was their first season. So uh, I have fond, obviously, 1991 is a, is a season that I have a lot of fond memories for. Uh, and uh, the, the, the Proset collection was part of that. They, they'd been successful in, in America. They, they hadn't uh, been, been going for long. And, uh, and an English agent called John Smith uh, was was asked could he could he bring them into the the English market? He, he obviously had a lot of connections. Uh, they managed to get a tie in with with shoots in their first season, giving away cards, and they also sponsored their results section. Yeah, and uh, they were by far and away the uh, the best selling collectible of that that season. Mm. Panini uh, stickers. Robert Maxwell was. Um, was in charge at the time. He, he died during during that season, but uh, they were they were in a, a lot of trouble. In f- 
Football 91 is not a, a set that many people look back on particularly fondly. And they they did a really strange, uh, they had a strange idea this year to bring out two different packets of stickers. Uh, the red set, which was the uh, the foil collection, and uh, and then later in the season the uh, the yellow set where they had the uh, the the individual head and shoulders and the team photo stickers, it didn't work. Mm-hmm. And uh, Panini only had a couple more uh, top flight albums after that. But the, that that if if there was a beginning of the end in terms of Panini stickers domestically, then uh, that that. That was it. Um, in, in terms of pro set, they only had one more season because then everybody else decided to jump on the Carl's bandwagon. So uh, it, it really cannibalised the market. But um, in terms of the long term future, cards was was clearly the, the way to go eventually. Mm. What a stupid decision to do that for Panini. Half the fun about stickers is trying to find the, the silver and the foil cards in a in a pack of stickers. I don't know whose bright idea that was. I don't. I didn't actually remember that. You just reminded me when reading it in your book as well. It's a strange decision. But what I remember mostly about ProSet, firstly, is the big binder that you used to buy to, to get them in that you used to drag around with you that I've still got sitting in my office. Um, I dragged it around London as well for our sticker pod last season. Um, and the fact that you can not just, it wasn't just top flight as well. The, the cards went down the leagues, each having different colours. Um, I've got an Ian Holloway one for Bristol Rovers. And I think that was a, a strange turquoise blue for that division, which I think would have been Division 2 at the time. They really did cover the bases in terms of all divisions, didn't they? Yeah, and uh, norm- normally when you look back on uh, sticker sets or, or card sets that weren't Panini, you can find a load of errors, uh, but there weren't that many in, uh, in in the pro set, so they, they obviously took it seriously. I think they mixed up Tim Sherwood with Paul Blades, but uh, other than that, there were there. I mean, well, it must have been about 400, 500 cards in yeah, that set, and, and there weren't that many errors in it. So I think that that always gives confidence to the uh, to the collector, and it, it was it was just a shame that. Uh, they then did a similar thing to Canini, Panini by, by bringing out uh, three different sets the following year. There was a there was a fixtures set and then two two player sets. So they they complicated it. Um, Panini brought out their own card set and then there was the the shooting stars set, mm-hmm. which was 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 done by Merlin, but they didn't put their name to it. Mm-hmm. And then, as I say, that was the end for cards because mm-hmm. Panini ninety two no, the card set wasn't it? That. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I've got the QPR one somewhere. Yeah, keep it simple when it comes to card collecting. That, that, that yeah. would be my boring motive. Well, I think we've covered a lot there. Um, we haven't mentioned your early days as a letter writer to the likes of 90 Minutes and World Soccer, but you, you like to get your thoughts on paper back in the day, didn't you? Yes, yeah. I, I was a 17-year-old, a, a budding writer. I, I just um, I, 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 th- I felt that was a good way to... Uh, to, to try to, to break into it mm. by, by writing for fanzines and uh, sending letters in. And yeah, I had, I had a few letters in 90 minutes that year, which I, I just, just got out earlier today. I had a, I had a letter in world soccer, which uh, for some reason they used to print your home address in, in the magazine with the letter, which uh, you probably wouldn't do these days. No, actually, so, yeah. As a result, I got, um, I got a surly response written on a paper bag by uh, by somebody who wasn't happy about my um, my views on Italian football compared to English football. I'll uh, when when the podcast comes out, I'll, I'll tweet it. So it, yeah, it was absolutely. a very 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 long response, very yeah, very, no, very you, considered. But yeah, uh, but they they, they certainly weren't weren't very happy with what I what I wrote in uh, in World Soccer. But mm. uh, but also this was a big 
era for, for fanzines. And uh, I, it wasn't just Arsenal ones that I wrote to. I had a letter in um, the, Tot- the Tottenham fanzine and a, a Liverpool fanzine. And, and I, I read all the uh, all the other clubs' fanzines. It, it just wouldn't happen anymore. I just don't... I don't see... Because of the likes of Twitter and, and just social media in general, I, I don't... I don't think there's there's quite the people would laugh and think that there was harmony amongst uh, rival football fans in the in the early 90s. But in in terms of fanzines and uh, and fan campaigns, there there really was. Yeah, there was fanzines. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad to see that the QPR one's still going. But it was a it's a day and age now where unfortunately we don't see a lot of fanzines. But there is our look back at 1991. I just wanted to sort of round it off with a little bit of overview of who won what. As we mentioned, Arsenal won the league. Uh, Manchester United won the Cup Winners' Cup. Tottenham, the FA Cup. Sheffield Wednesday, the Rumbleos Cup, which was the name for the League Cup at the time. In the second division, Oldham were the champions. Cambridge in the third and Darlington in the fourth. Top scorer for the divisions were Alan Smith of Arsenal, Teddy Sheringham of Millwall, Brett Angel, there's a name, for Southend, uh, who was joint scorer with Tony Philskirk of Bolton, and Stephen Norris of Halifax Town was the fourth division top scorer. In Europe, as I said, United won the Cup Winners' Cup. Red Star Belgrade won the European Cup, beating uh, Marseille on penalties. And in the UEFA Cup, that went to uh, an Italian giant at the time, as we mentioned already, into Milan, who had a team full of big stars like Walter Zengar and Lothar Matthias and Jurgen Klinsmann, fantastic team. Um, we haven't covered as much of Europe as we'd like to. I, I haven't mentioned the international team, which was obviously going through a transition period under Graham Taylor, but we'll mention that more in the next show when we look towards Euro 92 and the qualifying campaign. But hopefully we've covered everything. If we haven't, hit us up on Twitter at AK90s. Um, Greg, thank you very much for joining us. Is there anything else you wanted to mention before we head out? Uh, yeah, I think uh, it's only fair that we mention Oldham as well. They Not only did they win the... Uh, the, the Division 2 title that year, but they, they did it uh, right at the end of the final game, coming back from 2-0 to beat uh, Sheffield Wednesday 3-2. They, they also needed West Ham to lose that, that day. And, and that, was, uh, that was part of uh, their golden era under, uh, under, under Joe yeah, Royal. Yeah. And, uh, they, they had their, their plastic pitch, which they had to get rid of the following season because they were in Division 1. But uh, no, I, I, I remember them. Uh, they had a lot of giant, giant killings around that time. So I, I think uh, I'd imagine if you ask a lot of Oldham fans, they'll probably say that was uh, that that was their favourite uh, season of, of all time. So so let, let's give them a plug yeah. as well. Well, they they reached the semi-finals of the FA Cup, didn't they? The season before the previous yeah, yeah the losing to Man United, and, and then a few years later as well. Yeah, and the, I think they reached a League Cup final. I think Forest beat them in the League Cup as well. Yeah. So yeah, it was a good era for Oldham so yeah shout out to to the Oldham fans as well hopefully we've got some listening but thank you very much Greg um good to talk to you is there anything you'd like to plug ahead of time and anything you're working on you want to mention uh yeah my next uh, football related book is uh is something similar to the history of football stickers the uh, the history of football magazines it's a uh, it's a long time of the making because, as you would know, as a fan of football magazines, there's there's a lot of them about. There's a lot. Probably trying to cover from the 70s onwards. And uh, I, when I go on eBay, I keep finding all these real real oddities that, uh, that I didn't know exist that only had about one or two issues. And I, I think it's worth getting them in because, obviously, everybody knows shoot and match and, and the like. But uh, I, I, I find the ones that didn't last very long more even mm. more interesting and, and why they didn't survive. So, so yeah, that's... Uh, that's it's it's a it's a way down the line. I, hopefully, I will be able to get that out um, sometime next year. 
we look forward to that. I always remember England magazine. That was one that kind of went and, and gone, gone quite quickly in the sort of mid-90s, January 96. That was one that I uh, should have thought might have stuck around a bit longer. But uh, thank you very much, Greg. Thanks for joining us. Um, thank you. Pleasure. We'll, we'll be back again and we'll look towards the next season, which was 91-92. And we'll be talking to somebody very close to a club that won the FA Cup that season as our guest. So make sure you look out on Twitter for that. But until then, as always, keep it 90s.